Hello, everyone. For this episode of Nautical Knowledge and Nonsense, I got to sit down with the amazing Brandon F. Brandon F. makes YouTube videos with historical themes, and they have received several million views. He's a really funny person, a really interesting guy, and he really, truly did not have to sit down to do this interview, but he did so, despite the fact that he was leaving for England in just a mere matter of hours after doing the interview, and he still had to pack. So many thanks to Brandon for doing that. Many thanks to his partner for being so patient and letting me do this interview. We had a wonderful back and forth talk. We talked about land warfare history, but also maritime history. Several of his videos have a maritime theme, and we even discuss what some of his future videos with maritime themes might look like and how we might collaborate on that. Uh, regardless, it's a lot of fun. We both go on some pretty funny rants, uh, history rants, but in a very good way. And I hope you find this as entertaining as I did recording it. Many thanks again, Brandon. I can't thank you enough for doing this. And folks, I hope you enjoy this really great celebrity, uh, Mr. Brandon F. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Nautical Knowledge and Nonsense. I am here with the one and only Brandon F. Um, wow, sir. I mean, you are a YouTube sensation. Uh, millions I, I, of hits. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not sure that I would go so far as to say sensation. I, I make strange, incredibly niche content. Uh, and for some ungodly reason, people watch it is how I normally describe it to people. Um, yeah, it's good fun, though. Thank you for having me, sir. This will be a good time, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I I love your videos. I'm super Thank excited you. by them. I my first video that I ever saw. So so actually, we should back up. So Brand, Brandon F here is should, is that how I should address you or Mr F or Brandon? <laughs> Mr F. I mean, just I mean, Brandon Brandon F. Uh, you the guy over there, you know, damn Tory, right. whatever whatever you prefer, really. <laughs> All right, well, Brandon does incredible historical videos, uh, mostly focusing on Napoleonic era, but you dabble in a lot of other eras too. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, all um, over the place. Really, I would say it, it's actually more like, at least it's been lately more American War of Independence, but I'm getting more and more into Napoleonic stuff as we go. Um, see, I have my little, my, my, my framed portrait of, of the king right there. Um, <laughs> I guess he's good for both time periods though. Um, but yeah, really, I, I like to define my interest as just like British military history from 1707 until like 1918. Um, after the First World War, my interest kind of starts to decline. But um, it, it's it's a very eclectic channel, really. It's just if I find something that's interesting historically, I, I like to be able to talk about it. Although that's mainly, yeah, British military history. Well, people love it, clearly. I mean, all your videos get tens of thousands of hits, if not hundreds of thousands or more. Wow. Um, I try. First, the first video that I ever saw of you, I remember it, it came up and, and it was it was the one where you you describe like what a, what a musket actually sounds like when firing a real round mm -hmm. versus, you know, reenactment stuff. And, and I, was, I was like, huh, I wonder I wonder what that sounds like. That's a good yeah. point. And, and so I, I remember watching it like you're, you're sitting there and you and you actually fire at like like a slab of concrete or something and take a chunk out of it. And you got, yeah. you know, musket balls going into the earth and, and just, you know, describing how it kind of rolls. And and, and I, I remember thinking, I guess if you're recording this for your channel, I, I'm a sailor. We tend to swear. So I'm not going to swear. But basically, I used a compound word to describe it, which I thought it was pretty. You know, one word was bad and the other was like slang for a donkey. 
I was like, yeah, this, uh, this is really cool. So that, yeah. that's why I started watching your, your channel and checking out some of your videos. Yeah, it, it, it's weird, actually, because like of all the videos to take off that that was the one which it's like, I don't think like it's not really all that representative of my work because I'm not really a firearms guy. Well, I mean, I, I you know I have something right there, but like I'm not really a gun guy. I'm not really a gun range guy. Um, and that was just literally, I was, I, I was living in the UK at the time. I was back in the States, which means I had access to the musket, which was over here. And, um, I went over to my uncle's house and he has a lot like, you know, however many dozens of acres or hundreds of acres of land going all the way back. So we're like, oh, well, let's, let's shoot the, shoot the gun a couple of times, you know, shoot into, into a berm and everything. Um, and I'm like, oh, well, you know, I, I mean, I'm here. We got everything out. I, I guess I should record a video. Like, uh, what, what's something I can talk about? Uh, I don't know. Like, uh. They sound different. Yeah, that's something that's not accurate at reenactments, is that the guns kind of sound weaker when compared. Yeah, all right, I'll talk about that for like five minutes. So I gave the camera to my cousin. I'm like, just point it at me. And when I'm about to shoot the live one, I'll give you a little signal to back up just for safety. And, and, and there we go. And then of all the videos, like other topics, I'll spend like dozens, hundreds of hours researching <laughs> and writing the script and editing and doing all this fancy work. Now, it, it's the one that I spent literally like, five ten minutes recording i do like five hard cuts slap it up and then that's the one that ends up getting you know caught by the algorithm millions of views or whatever it's like okay great but um yeah no but but, but all the same i mean it's a fun one and uh wow that that was that was a, a very profitable day for me as it turns out because so, i think a lot of people found my channel either through that one that the algorithm decided to like take off with or they found me through basically just like 15 or 20 minutes of me sitting down and just screeching about how bad a, a battle scene in black sales is which is a show that you might be aware of given your own background um yeah it's it's, it's weird how like suddenly the internet will decide to take interest on one thing and it's always like the last thing that you expect we haven't been at this for like not even 10 minutes yet no we're just over five minutes and already i have been caught on a rant i'm sorry <laughs> It's fine. This, this happens. I'm sorry. That's a, it's amazing. It just shows how authentic your videos are. It's it's great. <laughs> like said, I do, rant. in fact, rant that long about nonsense. Yes. Yeah. We we will get to the Patriot. I'm sure. Oh but, God. Uh, oh God. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. That wonderful uh, documentary. That was really. Mm. <laughs> right up there with the rock i think yeah <laughs> uh but yeah the uh so well so and that's the thing i mean this is obviously not a knowledge of nonsense you've done several videos on uh, historical nautical films and historical mm -hmm. ships you, you visit the hms victory obviously you got pictures there just like you know by it and um and on it uh yeah so so let, let's talk a bit about that so you now you I, what i liked about your video Mm -hmm. uh, you're you're pretty like you're pretty honest. You don't delve too far in, into the boat stuff, so so it's all accurate what you're saying. Like like I remember I was watching the amphibious assault one, and it's like yeah that, that's yeah they're not shooting enough not for hundreds of guns. There'd be yeah, more yeah. shots fired. And, um, and, but then there were there were other things where I'm like huh I wonder if he thought of this point or it just made me want to have you mm -hmm. there in the room with me. Yeah, to like, be able to delve more into I mean like that that's me. the case with a yeah, lot of the times. Um, like I, I very much focus on the army side of things. Um, mm -hmm. and like, I, I would love to be able to like get out on a tall ship one day or like just have something of that experience so that I could get more into that world. Because like, it, it's funny, I think like, and you, you probably 
have experienced this a lot yourself is when you know like enough about history on the whole you can be watching something and, and like you know enough to know that like that's wrong like that that can't be right but i don't know how it's wrong and a lot of times that's the case <laughs> for me with naval stuff like they'll be sailing along in one direction and like all of a sudden just like on a dime they decide oh we have to go the other way and so they, whoop, and they spin around and then they're going the other one like yeah, it's something about that seems strange to me, but I don't. I'm not smart enough to tell you how it's strange. Oh, uh, it's it's not smart. It's, it's just everybody has their own knowledge set and experience, and yeah, I guarantee yeah. you, put you on a tall ship for a few months, and you you have a great understanding of, of naval tactics. And and it's well, actually, I'd be curious to know. So is that so? That sounds like something you might be interested in doing, just to get a better, more well-rounded understanding of the military history. I mean, yeah, I mean, as far as as learning more about it or going on to a tall ship for a little while, a bit of both, a bit of both. Because really. so the, the best the, way to see, learn is to do it. The, the thing about going on to the tall ship is like the adventurous side is like, oh, my God, that sounds like it would be amazing. But then the <laughs> other half of me is like, Brandon, you will die. You you like something will happen because I, 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 I was out in a pool a little while ago and i tried to swim from one end to the other i was out of breath by the time i got to the other side it's like i i i am a horrible swimmer i am terrified of the ocean like that it is it's just it's that's good That'll i keep you I, I don't do well with the heights anything like i i i can imagine myself dying horrifically in a million different ways on a tall ship well, yeah just just don't you just don't think about that too much when you're doing ah, it. okay I mean, you just don't think about it usually I know, you know, when I've been in situations where it's like, oh, crap, yeah, if I let go, it's it. I mean, well, it happens all the time. You, you let go and you die. So, but, um, oh, that's but I just, we were, oh, oh, yeah. Well, it's, like, the things can fall down. Oh, gosh, don't even get me started all the ways. But you don't focus on that. You focus on, like, I've got a job to do. And, you know, my, my thing, because I used to be deathly, deathly afraid of heights. I mean, the first time I went aloft on, you know, climbing up the rigging aloft on a tall ship, Mm -hmm. I, mean, I was literally shaking and like I was on the foot ropes, you know, and they're just like jiggling. Them, you know, and yeah. the floor, and the, I, the I mean, I imagine was... that there's a lot of motion in the wind there, even if they are really taut. Yeah. Like I imagine there's a, yeah, it's not quite, uh, well, it's not like a ladder up there. Well, and then you're, you're laying out, but then the guy lays out next to you, you know, so that, you know, yeah. moves the foot yeah. ropes and they're moving around and you're trying to gather up sail and then you, <laughs> yeah, slap on. Okay. Now we're underway. Now the boat's swinging like this and you know, side yeah. to side and, Oh, now let's Ooh. throw in some wind and let the sail just come alive. And you're like, ah, crap. So yeah, it's, uh, it can get pretty crazy, but I was so afraid of heights. And I mean, my training was pretty minimal back in those times. It was like, all right, you know, don't, what was it? Three points of contact. And it'd be really silly to let go. Here we go. It'd be, like, it would be very silly. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, we had a harness you clip in and, but yeah, but yeah it yeah. took me, but I realized I like, I had to get over my fear of heights. And so, mm -hmm. I just went climbing every day, every day. I volunteer. I told the captain, even if we're doing it, even if you have to go aloft, I'm like, can I go aloft yeah. to practice? And I just did it and did it and did it until I, you know, and I'm not to say I got a hundred percent over it. You never mm -hmm. do a hundred percent, but, but boy, yeah. If there was a dangerous situation, I could do my job. And it was kind of yeah. like, yeah, for me, it was like the, the duty thing. Like I never, I, I wouldn't necessarily get a thrill or a high from it. Like some people, some people love it. Oh man. They're just, yeah, it's like, ah. but just but like the capacity to do it when you have to without yeah. being crippled by the fear, I guess, is well, and, and my thing was I got to take care of my ship and my crew. So that yeah. that was enough to get me like, all right, if, if you don't do this, nobody is. So get up there, buddy. Like you got mm -hmm. a job to do. And uh, 
So I guess what I'm trying to say, Brandon, is you're not giving yourself enough credit. I'll bet you you can do it. Safety standards are really good these days on the boats. That's good. That's good. If I can have a life vest, I'd feel a lot better about it. That much is certain. Yeah. You get stronger over time. You get smarter over time, the way you use your body up there. Mm -hmm. And it's it's and it's exhilarating. It is exhilarating. Even for somebody who's afraid of heights, I can tell you. Yeah, there are few things in the world better than being up aloft out on the ocean. Yeah, it's, I imagine. It's I mean, one day I think it would definitely be uh, it would definitely be worthwhile if I could just force myself out there to do so. Um, and it's just it's just it's really I love talking to people like you who have those sorts of experiences just because like, you know, I close my eyes or whatever. And I feel like every word that you're saying could very easily be transposed into the historical environment. Like, yeah, some of the things are going to be different, like it's like safety regulations and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, the entire idea, uh, like, basically, I'll, I'll, I'll shorten up my rant. But what you were describing, I was thinking of that first scene in Hornblower when he's trying to get up the rigging and he's terrified. And all the other guys are just like scrambling up and down all next to him. And he's like, just trying not to fall down because he's terrified. And he just basically has to baptism of fire, throw himself into the situations in order to get accustomed to it. And like never entirely okay with it, but accustomed to it. And I I think especially for people like us who are um, to one extent or another, like seeking to expand historical knowledge and like bring those historical experiences to others, it's invaluable to be able to have those like primary experience to be able to say like, oh, well, I remember when I did the thing that they're describing in this account and it was like, you know, things like that. Well, that's one of the things too, which what, what I love about what you do and, and doing the historical reenactments mm-hmm. is, I mean, I, I really, may I go on a rant, sir? Yes, sir. <laughs> please do. So like I, to me, it, I, I, I have so much respect for, for reenactors. Uh, and I'm not talking like, 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 fantasy stuff i'm not talking like i feel like there's there's this route you can go there's there's two routes you can go you can go full ac- academic which is which gets into the unrealistic eventually i think um, and i'll explain why and then you have the full like oh well now i'm kind of doing just living history and then it that kind of goes into fantasy land after a while and i feel it, like the, the can, yeah there's there's yeah, a danger it's, to it's it. like there's this fine balance between you know the academic and the the actual living history mm-hmm. because without well, if it's just pure academics you get kind of like i mean you get what happened where you get these these you know like, oh well now they could have never done that interesting a poor british person but but uh that's that's so unfair anyway but what, what you know what i mean like where yeah. you get these historians that have only read stuff and i've caught like like proper historians these are people with phds where mm-hmm. i'm like uh that is a like they would make basic fundamental mistakes because they don't understand something basic about how a boat works, or yeah. how navigation works, or something like that. And and mm-hmm. I I, mean, I can catch that as a as a historian layman essentially, mm-hmm. uh, but with a little bit of experience, you can tell instantly if something's right or wrong. Yeah. But and, and one of the best examples, uh, oh, I remember watching this myths of World War II, and they talked about oh, who boy. fired the first shot on, mm-hmm. on uh, Pearl, in Pearl Harbor. Well, the Japanese has sent in about, I think it's five midget submarines, right? And there's some debate whether one actually made it in and fired some torpedoes and escaped that we, we don't, I don't think we know that yet because mm-hmm. one's unaccounted for. Uh, but the first shot was fired by the U.S. because they saw this little, this, this submarine 
And mm-hmm. they, I guess they swiveled one. It might, it might have been an AA gun. I don't think it was like a proper. It was like an anti-aircraft gun. They yeah. fired a shot. Boom. Went right through the conning tower. They said it, it rolled over. The sub mm-hmm. sank. Well, <clears throat> decades later, you get these historians who are like, no, well, there's no way they could have turned the gun that quickly. There's no way they could have fired the shot. Well, they found yeah. the submarine. And they actually went down and you could see the video of it. And right there in that conning tower is a hole about the size of my <laughs> hand. Yeah. It's like, bam, they nailed huh. it. So, so yeah, it, it, uh, it, it seems like a lot of times, um, it, it depends on the exact kind of history that's being told and everything, but especially with like, the net like more narrative histories they really like to to hone in on those on those little details but whether or not they they get them correct uh it it can dramatically change how a narrative is being is being given how a narrative is being spelled out um and and the the it's like there's so many of those little technical details that like I honestly, whenever I'm like writing like a piece of history or whatever, I get kind of scared because like I'll find myself like writing something. I'm like, wait, but do I really know that? Like I don't think I really know. No, no, I like I, I can't I can't cite the fact that he must have been scared. Like oh no, I have to delete that. I I can't say that because there's no you know backing for it. And so it's like 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 you know um like sometimes I worry that my academic writing I haven't done that in a long time now, but um. Like you know, the more like like for university or whatever, it's all very very dry because I'm terrified to go into like the narrative details. Like they rapidly spun the gun around. It's like, well, who said they spun around rapidly? Maybe they were relaxed. Who knows? Like I, I, we don't have a source <laughs> for it. And and it, because as well, because yeah. like I think that I do as well. Like I notice on occasion those little details that make me raise my eyebrows. Like, have you ever actually fired a musket? Like, mm, it's not quite so like. You know, like people like, oh, like the the powder which blinded them after a single shot because the, you know, it would get in their eyes and blah, blah. It's like, you're really over priming your musket if you're having that much of a problem, like, like keeping your eyes open and aiming down the barrel. Like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent again, but um, like, yeah, th- those little details, which on the whole for the historical narrative don't necessarily matter all too much. But the way in which the histories are told and the narratives that are spun, who fired the first shot, does it particularly matter? Not really. Like, we, we still know what happened at the end of the day. Yeah. But historians and authors will absolutely take that information and then build their wider like arcs around it. Yeah. And that impacts how people are thinking of these stories, how they're conceiving of human history and whatnot. It's, it's all based around the story just as much as the individual cold hard facts. But the story is a lot harder to get right. And that's where I think a lot of these myths and a lot of this mythologizing yep. can come from is because people wittingly or not will kind of skew things in that regard. Well, and it's a lot harder to get out of our heads because humans are natural. We're, we're, we love stories. We're yeah, just so exa- exactly. Exactly. Into stories. It's yeah, like, like we want to. We, we want to be able to put ourselves in the position of like the the you know the the militia man on Lexington Green, and so you know that's, we yeah. might get a little flowery with the sentiments. So it's like, but can we really prove that that's what the person was thinking when they were standing there? Maybe they didn't care about blah 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 blah. It's it, it's. It's a really fine line, I think. It's a delicate balance between the story and the actual history when it comes to popular history, which is obviously yeah. our realm and the realm of a lot of authors out there. 
And you you studied history in university? Yeah, yeah. Um, my undergraduate here in Ohio was um, I, I minored in um, sorry. The undergraduate was a double major in history and philosophy. Uh, the history was like a world history and European history type things. That's how they divide it in the states. And um, then I had minors in theology and the classics because oh yeah, so classics is very fancy. Um, <laughs> and then I uh, and then I took my master's degree in the UK in um, modern history. Didn't do quite so hot on that one. I was going through some stuff at the time, but um, yeah. So I technically technically I have my master's, um, and I'm hoping to go back over there in the next couple of years to carry on with the schooling as well. Now, what's the definition of modern history? Is that like enlightenment on? Is that industrial period on? It like depends on who you ask, I find. But um, for, for that particular program, it was basically like the Victorian era onwards. Um, okay. I think it's like after like World War II, we get into, or like, I don't know, maybe even that program did go up to World War II. But at least the way that I always think of it is like af just after the Napoleonic Wars up until like the world wars time period is modern history. Then after that, you get to postmodern history. Who knows what we're going to have after that? We're going to run out of names eventually. Um, but what I mainly focus on now is early modern history, which is really like seven, like 16th, 17th century. Again, exactly how you draw the lines is going to vary from like historian yeah. to historian and who you ask. But I always think of it as like 17th century up until and including the Napoleonic Wars. Some people will yeah, say, no, the Napoleonic Wars were the birth of the modern, and so it's not early modern. Uh, for oh. me, it's like, uh, again, I'm sorry, like we can draw the lines however we want, but um, yeah, basically Victorian era, and that's what I focused on, was the um, was particularly a British, um, a British uh, military expedition into East Africa um, in like the the in like the late late 1800s. Um, uh -huh. Although now. Yeah, I, I was kind of finding myself academically in that time. I chose a dissertation topic that was definitely interesting, but wasn't really up my alley. Um, and now I am definitely more of an early modernist uh, and early modernist, if that makes sense. Like the modern era, the early part of that. <laughs> Which is not early modern, it's early modern i'm sorry you, you already lost me i think i'll start talking about ships ringing now feel like yes, let's, feel a little let's, let's do that let's do that <laughs> that's that's well that's fascinating so you so see you're oh yeah so victorian era that but you love the revolutionary war and you, yeah i got a lot of videos on that yeah and, I, uh, I and obviously of, the naval oh sorry i was, I was gonna say i kind of fell into the revolutionary war stuff honestly just because um I wanted when I wanted to become a reenactor. I'm like trying to think of like, all right, well, I want to do British. I want to do something with the British because I like the British Army. Yeah. That's my thing. And there really weren't any Napoleonic groups in my area. There really wasn't all that much at all. It's like, oh well, there's a Revolutionary War group. All right, cool. I'll get involved with that. And that was when I started reading about it. So was this was this pre or post undergraduate um, um, work? Pre, pre. This was like just out of high school is when a friend of mine actually became a Civil War reenactor. And I started talking to him about the reenactment, like the, the, the event that he went to. And I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm pestering him with questions. So I'm, I'm annoying him. I'm asking all these different like, 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 you know, like, oh, how far did you march? How did the wool feel? Blah, 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 blah. He's like, Brandon, just just go ahead and do it yourself. I'm like, I can do it. My, I'm an adult now. I can do that. <laughs> and and that was that was high. So I like just after high school is when I started getting involved with it. Well, I had um. So I actually got to do a couple of Civil War reenactments, which was nice. amazing. 
that was that was so awesome. But but the way I fell into that one, I had it's kind of a long story, but basically I had done a murder mystery and it was set in the 70s. And so my character was named Manny and I had like a handlebar mustache and sideburns. I mean, I looked good. I looked really good. Mm-hmm. And, and my friend on a dare, he's like, I dare you to just keep that for a month. I'm like, fine, whatever. You know, so, so I yeah. kept the facial hair for a month. Uh, didn't really think it through because I went to the 150th and or was it 150th, 149th? I think it's 150th anniversary of Gettysburg. Yeah, that was like a really big date. one. Yeah, but I had a date, but she had never seen me like that. She only saw me with a full beard. And, and uh, needless to say, when she saw me, the, the date fizzled out pretty pretty quickly. But oh. um, when I was walking around the camps, and, and I don't have any family that's ever fought in the Civil War. Like I'm, I'm, I was born in Canada. Like my family, we lost the Revolutionary War, and we were loyalists and got kicked oh. out and um, went up to Canada on my mom's you made, side. You made a good move. Good job. Yeah. And then my dad's side, just they fled every conflict the germans ever were in so it's uh you know a pre world war one but uh anyway how the um the civil war so i was going through the union camp and they're kind of all like people were really cold to me they were kind of like it's really? almost scowling i was like what is going on like i'm just trying to ask them questions and they're like they're mm-hmm. not having it i'm like screw this what well, you know i almost yeah. was like I don't, I don't understand these reenactors and then i i wasn't even at the confederate camp they were separate obviously but like mm-hmm. I started walking in the direction of the Confederate camp. I wasn't even there. And people are like, hi, hey, how's it hmm. going? Oh, buddy, do you need a ride? Come over here, have a drink. And like they thought I was a Confederate reenactor because of my Oh, because hair. of the, yeah. I, I, so I wonder if like that style, I don't really know the, don't the fashion know. of the period. Maybe that's like a particularly Confederate style. And so people there thought you were, I don't know. That's, I don't know that's why, but the long story short, I ended up getting invited to a, a reenactment. And so I'm nice. like, well, I'll check yeah. this out. And then. They, they tried to put the uniform on me. And, and one of the guys said, Johan, you, you can never be in a reenactment, a Civil War reenactment again. I was like, oh, why not? It's like, because you actually have the build of a Civil War era soldier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> These guys were all, were all overweight. And I was. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I like to think I was a little more muscular than your average Civil War soldier. But, but I was like <laughs> definitely you know, having trouble. Yeah, yeah. It was so big. But it was, uh, oh, it was a great time. Nice, and uh, just had a lot of fun. Um, gosh, just, and what, and what got me, what got me the most, what, cause, cause I love visiting museums. I know you do too. And um, of course, I, I, is there a picture of you next to Nelson's uniform? I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, or, or, yeah. Um, not the uniform, but a portrait of him. I'm like, yeah, here's my guy. Something like that. Yeah. Um, or no, that's a picture. Of, that's me in front of Tarleton. I'm like, look at him. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, there's, there's a picture with me at the Nelson. Yeah, as well. But, but it's like, I, I, you know, you see Nelson's uniform and it's, it's a heck of a thing. To see like yeah. this was his actual uniform. You can see, you know, his friend's blood all over the the yeah you know, the, the, um, the stockings. I think it is. Yeah, the stockings he was wearing. You can see the hole where where you know where he you know got shot. Yeah, and it's a heck of a thing to see that. But then I was also very very much impressed with the replica of his uniform because it's shiny, it's beautiful, the colors are crisp. Yeah. You realize like this world is not some faded two hundred year old thing. This was like. This was the real freaking world. Yeah, and it's so and, recent is the thing. And there are so many similarities. And I feel like, like the further you delve into it, the more and more you see the results of like of how how close by it was and how recent history yeah. it is just because of those rever- reverberations and whatnot. Um, but, but without the reenactors, all those uniforms are going to fade. You know, the metal will rust. Like, I feel like like it's actually keeping real history alive. It's not just yeah. living history. It's not just, you know, this is how we think they did it. Like, the, the good reenactors, they go out and read, they learn. 
they're they're yeah. a lot yeah. of them are armchair historians. I mean, they're they literally are yeah. looking up prime minister's documents. It's it's, it's impressive. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's one of those things that reenactment is such a weird hobby. It's such it's such a funny thing because it has so much potential all at once to be academic and rigorous and and well executed and serve such an amazing social good i think um actually uh, a shout out there was actually recently a, a napoleonic reenactment group the 44th uh, regiment of foot in the uk that went on like it was something insane it was like a 20 mile or something like that march over two days um in full kit, like with the packs and everything, to raise awesome. money for a charitable organization called Waterloo Uncovered. They recently finished up with that, which is like, that's awesome. Um, and a number of other groups over there have done the same thing. The um, Coldstream Regiments of Foot Guards, which I'm a member of, um, the 33rd Regiments of Foot has done that. Like, a, you know, <clears throat> like a, at its best, reenactment can do so much good for the world. But then on the other hand as well, I feel like there are so many pitfalls with it. Um, you know, there are like, un it's unfortunate, for example, like your experience with the union group that you were mentioning is that they were standoffish and, and like kind of cold and everything. It's like, oh, like that's not how you get new recruits. It's not how you get new members. And after, and, and like, if you're not there for the public, then why are you really there? If it isn't an educational pursuit, then you're just a bunch of crazy guys in the woods with guns and you know that's I, I like to think there's more to it than that but yeah like as far as recreating historical environments and historical circumstances obviously it is entirely impossible to get everything 100 percent correct that like by definition yes. you cannot do that um and if you are then you will rapidly be arrested for uh a lot of things because Turns out there's a lot of disease and yeah, shooting at each other and whatnot back in the day. But um, even like even such simple things as like, well, why were they fighting in lines? Why were they all shoulder to shoulder? That's so stupid. Well, when you get like 50 guys and you line them all up and you're like, all right, everyone, we're going to go over there. Turns out it's actually pretty difficult to get that group to stay together unless you're in contact, unless you have a drum beating out the cadence. Like, you know, all these little things like these little niche concerns that again drive the narratives it's a really good way to explore those elements um it's just a matter of having people who are committed enough to to do it and get it right but also yeah. willing to share that knowledge and understand that it can never be a hundred percent historical that's always like my biggest pet peeve is like the what like people in the one camp who are like, eh, we're just out here having fun. Yeah, grab a couple of beers, shooting some guns with the guys, getting away from the wives, and that's it. I'm like, no. But then you got the guys on the other side who are like, if you're not sleeping in a hole in the ground, and if you're not absolutely <laughs> miserable, then you are disrespecting the history. It's like, okay. <laughs> Relax. Calm, calm down. We are, this is still a hobby. Like, it. Yeah. It's interesting because on the ships, you know, it's it's weird because it's it's a hobby, but it's also my I mean, it's my job too. You know, like, yeah. like my job was to sail these boats. The Coast Guard would come on board, inspect them, but uh, uh, yeah, it's it's so it's weird because it, I wouldn't say what we do or did. I mean, it, every boat's different, right? Some are more mm -hmm. reenactment than others. Some, but you know, or, or try to do the like historical uniforms or whatnot. Yeah. But then other 
other boats, I mean, there's a lot to be said where just if you go out and sail hard, that's that's more authentic than, than anything. Yeah, it's it's a tricky thing. But the um, I was going to say, oh, yeah, one thing. So but even on the other ships, you can you can experiment with stuff and, and really kind of, like you said, understand why they did it. You were talking about shoulder to shoulder marching. Well, on in the old days on the warships, they would they would fit the sailors in the hammocks. And they would literally yeah. touch each other, literally. I mean, you're, yeah, you are yeah, shoulder yeah. to shoulder. You got less than two feet, I think, of space or around thereabouts uh, with twice. Miserable. And, and, and so they did. I remember I was hearing, I think it was the replica of the HMS, HMS Endeavor, though. I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me on that one. But basically, they went, they're out at sea. They're out at sea on the hammocks. And they're like, well, why? Let's just set them up where we're not touching each other. That seems ridiculous. What happens yeah. is everybody's a different weight and everybody swings at a different rate. So uh-huh. <laughs> because of that weight difference, and whatnot, I don't know the physics behind it. All I know is they're crashing into each other. Nobody got sleep. It's impossible. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, like, whereas if they're shoulder, if they're shoulder to shoulder, is it like more swinging as one? Together, and you can oh. actually just like, like get rest. Yeah. So, so ironically, huh. yeah, you get better sleep from being side by side. It's like anything you do get used to it. Um, I mean, yeah. I've slept on the U.S. brig Niagara out of uh, in, in uh, wow. Erie, Erie, Pennsylvania. Nice. They they still the, the deckhands still you rig up a hammock every night and, and sleep in a hammock, you know, for more more often yeah. than not. Uh, otherwise, you sleep on the on the sole on the, the floor of the ship. Okay. But uh, but yeah, so so I remember we, one night we we're like, oh, let's rig it up the old fashioned way. And so we did put ourselves shoulder to shoulder and, mm-hmm. and this this one girl <laughs> this one girl we were lying there and she's like i've never slept this close to a man before and then kind of realized like she gave you know she gave away way too much information it's like oh <laughs> it's fine <laughs> don't tell anybody you know yeah it's really it was so cute. that that is really interesting though is like and again it's it's one of those little insights that me i never thought about that before because unless you're in that situation why would you ever consider this? And so someone right. who's under like my understanding of all the naval stuff, I like to think that I know more than the average person, but everything that I know is purely academic. It's only because I've read it in the book somewhere. And the books aren't even focusing on that kind of thing, let alone to such a So that's really interesting. Like that's that's exactly the kind of thing that I'm most interested in as well. Because like, you know, I I don't know, I you know, I, I could read I don't know. You know, there are so many books about like, oh, the Battle of Trafalgar or the Battle of the Nile. It's like, yes, yes, I know. And then this ship moved to that to that degree and fired the broadside over there, blah, 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 blah. It's like, all right, cool. But I'm more interested in learning about, whether it's for Navy or Army or whatever, like the experience of the people who were on that ship. Like, I don't care if they fired a broadside into the Belephron or the Orient or whatever. I want to know what the experience of the guy who's, you know, pulling that lanyard is or the guy who's, who's igniting, you know, that cannon. And yeah. that kind of story of the hammocks swaying back and forth, that's just un, like unlocked a whole new layer, so to say, of, of things to think about. So Yeah, but you but it, but it sounds like you start with the history. Like you're you don't you don't start with um, you know, and I think the best example is uh, like Mythbusters. Like they did like a pirate episode, which I, I didn't watch yeah. the whole thing. But I saw, I mean, I let, let's put it this way. It was high. That, that particular episode was highly criticized by the tall ship community. Ooh, and sure. especially like they're, they, they, they're firing, they're firing like a tiny little three pound or six pound gun, something relatively small yeah. into plywood. I mean, it was like sheets oh. of 
plywood. Like so the that's boats not representative, not yeah, like at all. Oh, not at all. Not at all. And it just, of course, goes straight through. And yeah. just like no splinters. And like, oh well, myth busted. I guess there's no splinters, or you know. And, oh, did they? Is that what they ended up saying? Is that splinters didn't I cause the majority? Well, of... It's been a long time, but I believe okay. they they did the myth busted thing. Oh. And like we're sitting there. Just go to the the U.S. Brig Niagara Museum. They they did a mock up in the I think it was the eighties or nineties, like an actual made of thick, you know, I don't know if it's old growth wood, but like a real mock up of the side yeah. of one of these vessels. At and least it's better than plywood. Oh yeah! Oh my god! And then they fired thirty two pound carronades at it, and you know this is before you had, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is before you had like ballistics gel and stuff. So so, but they had mm -hmm. like. Um, but I think it was plywood. They actually had like like human mock-ups made out of plywood or whatever. Yeah. These things got shredded. Yeah. Shredded sure. by these, oh, you know, these cannonballs going through and just the splinters like boom, explosion. And yeah. one of them just like literally in half. The others like have have, you know, I mean they're they're a foot long, like like going into the plywood. And you're just like oh, that's you brutal. would not want to be on the receiving end of that. No. It's just <laughs> I think one of the shots even hit one of the replica cannons and like broke it in half. And you're just like, oh, wow, okay, this is this is pretty serious. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Like real historians of, and well, not historians, real his, history lovers, I think is the way yeah. to do it, have have done stuff like that. But then you get a show like Mythbusters where I, I get it. They're just trying to, but they go about it, uh, 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 slang for donkey backwards. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. Completely backwards. You know, they yeah, start like with it's... like, yeah, it's the science and then try to use the science to justify the history. Mm -hmm. When it's like, I don't know, just start with the history. And I think that, that that does sort of raise a very interesting point and very interesting question about um, how we apply the practical knowledge and like the practical experiences to historical to like historical realities and historical experiences. So I think a lot of times, um, unfortunately, and I'm sure that I've done it as well because every reenactor, it's a very natural thing to do. It's just something to try and go against. Um, is like you'll have a certain experience reenacting. And then, or in your instance, like on a ship even, and then we assume that that experience is transferable. Because like, well, a lot of them definitely are. A lot of those experiences of like, what's it like to march for, you know, eight miles and shoulder to shoulder, blah, blah, blah. Like, it, it, to some extent now, for example, those uh, 44th Essex guys that I mentioned, they now know what it's like to march like 20 something or other miles in those sorts of shoes, you know, in yeah. Napoleonic kit. They know that at least to a certain extent, but obviously not 100%. And I, I feel like a lot of times we as reenactors or, or historically inclined hobbyists and whatnot, um, we can do something and then like assume, oh, that must have been what it's like back in the day, but not necessarily because of those root material uh, conditions and how those material conditions impact things. Uh, and so it, it's a very fine line, I think, between balancing... I feel like, honestly, it's not even a matter so much of, like, approaching it with the practical end and then going to the history or approaching it from history and then going to the practical. You really just have to blend both as much as possible. You know, mm. having an experience on a tall ship or at a reenactment or firing a, a black powder firearm, anything like that, be like, this is interesting. Like, this gives you, this gives me an idea. This has given yeah. me a concept. Is this concept transferable to the history and that is when we have to look at the primary sources and look at you know the manuals and the treatises and the accounts and the memoirs and the drawings and the paintings to figure out like all right how accurate is this and then learning more about that that can then inspire you to do better testing and better 
you know, experimentation, you know, things like that. Like, I think that it is a journey. It is definitely a process that never really ends. And it has to involve both ends because all the time yeah. it does seem like, like, especially like on reenactor Facebook pages and whatnot, I'll see someone be like, hey, um, like, did they do this, that, or the other? Did they wear their bearskin caps at this battle? Did they use drums in this way? And then people will say, well, I remember uh, 1998 Battle of Brandywine. We had this situation, and we definitely did this for that reason. So I'd say probably. It's like, mm, hold on. Like, yeah. that's valuable. That's important. But that's not your answer. That is a part of your answer. Um, and, and again, it's so easy. That's how you get to the fantasy. Yeah. Exactly. It's so easy to have it go into LARPing as opposed to yep. experimental archaeology or whatever people like to call it. Um, and well, I, even it, on, it has to be the same way, yeah, for sailing, I'm sure. Well, even on our ships, yeah, we, we would have what uh, they call them zombie myths, where these myths would just like just pop up because they're such good stories. I mean, I'm literally not going to tell them to you. Because I don't want to create them again. Yeah, you don't want to <laughs> spread it around. Yeah, reenactorisms is what we call it in, in the reenactment <laughs> hobby. Yeah, reenactorisms. Like Re oh, like like for example, um, I don't have my cocked hat with me, but um, in a cocked hat, there's like the little pieces of like string or yarn or whatever like that holds the hat up. People oh. occasionally put their pipes through that, and they're like, oh well, yeah, because it's practical, it makes sense. Like yeah, no, it it works. You're in the field and you find out you can stick it up there, it prevents it from breaking. It it's logical. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Never happened, though. It was some guy probably in the bicentennial who figured out, like, yeah, they probably did that. But there's no evidence to actually suggest it. And it, this thing yeah. spread like wildfire through the hobby. Uh -huh. All the time you see guys having their pipes and their hats like that. People, men who, like, don't even smoke the pipe. They just have it mm -hmm. as a set piece. But it's completely, it's 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 made up. You know, it doesn't, at least to my knowledge, I don't think there's anything that supports it. Um, and it's so easy, especially as, like, yeah. a new reenact. God, <clears throat> when I first became a reenactor... So many myths I was peddling just because I heard from other reenactors. I'm like yep. a 19 year old kid. I'm like, oh well, surely these guys know more than I do. Like, oh, did you know that the did you know that the bayonet like dishes is, is banned by the Geneva Convention because it's a triangle? No, what are you talking about? That's nonsense. Uh, flipping um, I don't know, just all all sorts of different things yeah. that are just very very silly, but it's so easy to fall into them. Yeah, because like you say, the narrative is so compelling with them. So, so really, people that do reenacting, like, they need to have, they, they need to be focused on the history and the academics. But would you also argue then that the academics also need to have that element of, of living history to, to properly round themselves out? Like, is that fair? It, it definitely depends on the kind of history we're talking about. Um, like, for example, if it's uh, a strictly academic history where mm -hmm. people are saying, and then Wellington moved his fifth corps up to the ridge and opened fire, blah, blah, blah. Like, all right, well, if you're only talking about the wide scale troop movements, you really don't have to know how the manual exercise happens. You don't have to know how the men are firing. You just need to know that they're firing and that they're yeah. firing at a certain rate. But especially, uh, like, again, going back to the idea that we've been harping on when it comes to the narrative histories it's very important or i think when we're talking about um i don't know there are certain realms or certain regions i can't necessarily think of an example but there are different sections where that sort of social history that sort of like personal individual like lower scale history is very much informing 
the wider narrative, the, the more hardcore, like scholarly history. And that is where it's most important. Like if, if you're going to write about the Battle of Agincourt, for example, I, I could not do so. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I'm sure that if I dedicated the time to it, I could go in, I could read all the other history books and articles and some of the primary sources, and I could probably write an article about the Battle of Agincourt that's perfectly adequate. But I've never fired, or sorry, I've never loosed a longbow, I've never worn armor, I've never really spoken to anyone directly who has done those things, I've never seen it in person, like, I'm completely removed from it. And because that would be purely academic, I would, I, I think I would inherently be missing a very important part of the equation of what, of what that battle is. Same yeah. thing for if I was going to try and write a, an article or make a video or whatever about naval stuff. Whenever I do talk about naval stuff, I do pretty careful because I feel like I, I can only go so far because I, I will say something for which, like, it makes complete sense in my mind uh, that like, yeah. oh, well, like, well, surely the sale works in such a way like that it's logically consistent. There's no room for questioning to me like this. Obviously, this is how it has to work. And I read a few of the books like, oh, well, it's saying here. Yes, yeah, like. This is confirming what I'm thinking. Turns out it's just because this author did the same thing, but he made the same assumptions that I'm making or, <laughs> you know, any number of things. But like, it's so easy to go along those certain lines and I could write an entire script about, you know, how something or other works. But then I talk to someone like yourself and they're like, oh, well, um, uh, yes, yes, you, you did manage to get this about the um the uh the gibber line with the not nautico uh measure that that's all correct <laughs> but have you considered the uh the, the the scribbler note have you have you considered that and the impact that it was going to have on the weatherline lee base oh i i've never even heard of any of that and it changes everything and all of a sudden everything that i thought was wrong well, don't worry too much about the sailor jargon. We still argue over it to this day. And I That's swear to God, half of it was just made up probably as a joke. And then it like became tradition. Got too far I still and, and, like, I got so many comments on the one video that I made about like the anchor being pulled up, for example, like right. how they did it. Like, Brandon, for, it's yeah. not a rope. It's never a rope on a ship. It's a line. It's not a rope. It's a line. I'm like, same thing but i know that if, if yeah. i talk about my musket and someone says and and like someone refers to it as a prison i'm like actually like the word prison is perfectly acceptable but technically it's not the 18th century to, or like or like tricorn as opposed to cocktail it's like well it's not a yeah. tricorn it's a cocktail mm, but yeah oh I was gonna, there was something i wanted to say about the oh, i can't remember now shoot oh, i hate it when this happens yeah the um uh da, 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 what are you talking about uh, it's always oh. when the other guy is ranting that you forget you you come up with a great point while they're ranting yeah i just write as soon down. as he <laughs> as soon as he shuts up i'm gonna i'm gonna hit him with this hard hitting now but then i just oh, keep no, on going it was, it was the it was the the um the yeah so so the reason i know i know mm -hmm. I, I just know it's human nature to like like make up stuff and then and then just becomes traditions because so we had a sale that we called the Rafi. it was like the the party hat that kind of it was a it was a deck set sale so most of the sales are already in the rigging this one you actually brought it out on deck you raised it up all the way at the top and it would sit on top of the 
It would, it would just hmm. sit on top of the boat, like a part, almost like a party has what it looked like. Be, big debate over is it a Rafi or is it technically a Tagalant? Well, like, like who cares? But that's not what that's not the point of this story. Is the point was as a joke. So we we had black powder on the ships, and hmm. we, and it was stowed. Uh, well, it was stowed below, but we would make the cartridges below. Uh, but anytime we've had to pull a powder out of this this uh, locker on deck, they'd say, oh, powder on deck. And everybody would repeat that. And that was just to mean like, don't smoke. Don't, you know, just alerting yeah. everybody. Yeah, hey, like make sure that explosives. everything is. Yeah. We got actual explosives and don't do not do anything stupid. And and so he said, powder on deck. Everyone repeats, powder on deck. You know, and and so I started jokingly because the Rafi, I had to go back down into the aft cabin of the ship and go into the Laz, which is like the, the basement of that particular cabin. And, uh, and pull out this sail. And so I, I brought out the Rafi one time. I said, Rafi on deck. It was a joke. And everyone was like, haha, that's funny. So they yeah. started doing that as a joke. Six months later, I went back Everyone to the, I, I is doing the it. I came back and like I, I pulled out the Rafi and I just brought it out on deck. Like, you can't do that. You 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 have to say Rafi on deck. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I don't. I actually don't. So like, no, you do. It's 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 important. I'm like, it's the tradition. No, you have to. I made that up. Yep. <laughs> As a joke. Oh, so that's just, funny. Yeah. It was crazy how quickly it, it was turned into like, guys, like yeah. seriously, I made that up. That, that was not real. <laughs> so yeah, it's funny. It's funny how it, it Yeah, it's like it's it's one of those weird lines. And like, especially in like the military reenactment community, like one thing that always really bothers me in the reenacting community is when people will tell those jokes, but then not make it apparent that they are telling a joke. Because it's uh, yes. so easy, and I feel like rumors will spread like that. Like, oh well, yeah, this is actually uh, like the the British would reload it in this different, weird, funny way. It's like, no, that was a meme. What are you talking about? Like, uh, God, like I remember actually, um, like a super early event that I that I was with um, with my old unit, uh, ISB, with the fifty fourth Regiment of Foot out in like the Connecticut area, um, and one of my first ever events with them. Uh, I was talking about the Assassin's Creed games and how, like, historically awful, 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 awful they are. And I was saying, like, eh. and there's this weird, this funny bit where rather than, like, you know, reloading, like, springing his musket up and then reloading at the side, which makes sense, he would, like, carry the musket at the trail, reach with his left hand to get his cartridge, and then reach around to prime it like this before it goes, I'm like, and that was just, like, that's so silly. I was making fun of it. Yeah. But this one guy in the unit who, and he's a, he's a, he's a, he was a great guy. Very nice. Um, very, very funny man. Very, very sarcastic man though. And he had me going for a little while because he said, no, 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 Brandon, that's actually right. I'm like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? That that's clearly not right. He's like, no, man, that was, that was how native Americans actually, like that was a native American technique. The Iroquois did it. And they, they use that in order to reload more silently while on the march. So they're not moving the musket around so much in the brush. Like, yeah, that was the thing. And I'm like, you're BSing me right now, right? It's like, no, man, look it up. I'm like, hold on. I'm looking around to the others. Like, he's joking. And and he's like, man, I'm, I'm just messing with you. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Like, but things like that, like, like you know, if, if if someone had overheard that or if he didn't, you know, if he story. wasn't so nice a guy and he just kept up with the joke. And all of a sudden, yeah. bing, bang, boom, we have a new reenactorism. Um, and, and one of my pet peeves, I think, is when people, because there are people who will, especially like to the public, they'll like give sarcastic answers or sarcastic replies because they're just kind of having fun with it because they don't care. But then that just carries on and that promotes the negative stereotypes through the population and whatnot. It's like, 
Oh, it, it, I, you're killing me. I thought Buffy on deck. Oh man, I thought of two things. So, well, well, one one is we had um, people. They, they used so we have these things called baggy wrinkles, which are like anti-chafing gear, and it looks. Okay. I'm not even going to take time to describe it. Just just type in baggy wrinkle. It'll come up eventually. You'll figure it out. But basically, it's anti-chafing gear. But but so we, you know, everybody invariably asks, "What's that thing on the rope?" You know, it's yeah. it's to keep the the rope from chafing through the sail. It's oh, made out of okay. I was, and I, I was looks picturing like an fuzzy. undergarment of some sort of first when he said no, chafing. No, I was very uh, confused. It's, okay. Yeah, it's it's it looks like a fuzzy. Well, the the person said, "Oh, that's a sea gerbil," you know, <laughs> which it's not. But uh, but then the story went that somebody said that to like a donor, and I, who knows if this story is true? It's probably not. But, yeah. but like a, a donor that like was donating millions of dollars to the boat or whatever, and they said that as a joke, and then the person's like, "That's it. I'm not donating any more money to this yeah. organization." <laughs> so so that's the story, that, and that's a classic sailor trick, by the way, just to like make something mm -hmm. su a superstition or make it a negative story. And oh man, look, your sailors will beat the heck out of anybody that tries to. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's a good bad behavior. But but this is so but great because we, we, yeah. But we have a video now, so I can actually do this this story. So my one of the guys I interviewed, Josh Scornavacci, he's uh, episode five that in my podcast, and he was the survivor on the HMS Bounty when she sank the the replica HMS Bounty when she sank in Hurricane Sandy. So wow. crazy story, yeah. Three hour interview. It it it's insane. It's absolutely insane. Like like that you will really not. Cool. I'll have yeah, to go back not. and I have to go back and watch that one. Absolutely. Well, listen on the plane. You got a long plane ride. Hey, but, uh, there you go. There you go. You're thinking about there you go. it's it's a crazy story, but and and he's and he's a great, I mean, he's great at telling the story, but but it's real life. This is not like he's making stuff up. But one of the things when he was on the bounty, he said they, he was moving uh it must have been some sort of a tank, like a like a, a small tank. It was only maybe a you know 50 pound tank or something. And mm -hmm. uh, and um let's see, I had a compressed air something like that i don't know but he was like moving it down below moving these tanks and some some uh tourists were up above looking down below into the hold where he was doing his work and they said is that a is that a like a man like an animatronic guy or something you know like they they were actually questioning it so josh said he instantly like kind of froze up and then just went back and forth yeah what mechanical with the same motion like, <laughs> until they left <laughs> Which is great. I was just like, oh my God, it's totally, it's something Josh would totally do. Yeah. <laughs> and I had one, I, this, I, this I actually saw with my own eyes. We had a, a gal who she had left tall ships for a while and she came back and was kind of, you know, testing the waters again. Um, and she's like, yeah, I want to get back in a boat. Da, da, da. So she was sitting there sanding. I mean, she's physically sanding like on the side of the boat. A tourist came up and poked her. With his finger, like oh, actually, no. poked her. She, she jumped. She's like, ah, yeah, and yeah. Like, oh, you're real. You're. Real. It was literally what he said, <laughs> and she's just like, I'm out. I'm done. Like, yep. <laughs> like, I've, yeah, I, I've had moments like yeah. that before. Um, like standing on the sentry duty or whatever. Um, <laughs> and like not like trying to stand all stock still because I mean you're a sentry that doesn't make any sense. But like you're just like getting kind of bored. And it's like you're kind of like just like zoning out. You know, it's like kind of spacing out. Uh, waiting for someone to come up so you can like introduce them to the camp and whatnot. But then I've had like people like off to the side or whatever, like, is that is that a real person? Is that a is that a mannequin? I don't know. And I and I've had people confuse me before, like for being a mannequin and whatnot, like from a distance or from the rear or whatever. And then when I like turn around and be like, hey, they're like, oh, okay, all right. It's like, yeah, no, I'm just just wearing the funny outfit. That that's all. 
Well, now, I mean, nowadays, gosh, you're, you're becoming quite popular. Like, what's it like at reenactments? Do people ask you for your autograph, pictures, that kind of stuff? Is it, um, how embarrassing does it get? <laughs> oh, God. It's weird. Um, it's very weird because I'm an awkward person. I don't like if someone like someone walks up to me and and yeah, like I, I've been recognized a number of times at reenactments. Um, and I never really know what to say. Like, I get nervous. I feel like the worst thing is like they're nervous to meet me because I guess they enjoy my work. I'm nervous to talk to them because I'm I don't know who they are. And like, I'm worried that I'm going to say something embarrassing or like that's going to ruin the brand or something. Like, I don't I don't know. Um, so it can be very awkward, although thankfully um, I've, I've really uh, for the for the vast vast majority, I've I've only had really good experiences with people. Uh, in fact, actually, on this next trip to London, I'm actually going to be having my first ever fan meetup. So that'll be what? interesting. That's awesome. That'll be interesting. Yep, I have to announce that still. Um, I made like a little <laughs> proto announcement, but I have to make a video announcing it. But um, so that that's nerve wracking to be sure. Um, but yeah, I actually remember my first ever reenactment back in the states because I was out living in the UK when my channel kind of like started to get bigger. Um, mm -hmm. going from like 2000 subscribers to like 20,000, like, a, like a couple of days and like, it was an explosion. Um, right. and people, yeah. And like, people were walking up to me like, Hey, yeah, I heard you're going to be at this event. It's a pleasure to meet you. I like your stuff. And like everything from like old men who just like, yeah, I've seen you on the YouTubes. Yeah. Good job. To like little <laughs> kids, to little kids who are like nervous to meet me because I'm like, like, because they think I'm something more than I, I don't, it's surreal. It, the only way I can describe it is really, really surreal. But, um. I think it's more surreal. It's like I, like I've, I've had people like not in the reenactment hobby, like know me, because um, mm -hmm. like at the reenactments, I'm usually like in my elements. I'm a lot more like socially outgoing and aware socially and everything. Um, and it, and it's always a great experience. I I kind of at this point, and I hate to I hate to say things like this because it makes me feel like a you know what, but at this point, I I kind of expect when I go to reenactments that. A significant portion of the people will know me they'll know of me because of what i do it doesn't mean that they like me but they know they know what i do um but every once in a while i'll have people like i'll like just be walking in a town or going to a museum or something like that and someone will recognize me there they'll say like are you brandon f i'm like Oh God! Oh no! Uh, yes, I am. I, I I I love it. I absolutely adore it when people like recognize me and walk up to me and like say hi and like we take a selfie or like I give them a business card and I sign the back of it or something like that. Like I love that, but it still kind of terrifies me. And I I kind of hope that it always terrifies me because that prevents me from getting cocky about it. I like to exactly. think. Um, yeah. In fact, got at one point actually. Um, when I lived in Massachusetts, I had like just moved to a new town in Massachusetts and I was going around with a friend of mine, just sort of showing her like around the place, like, oh yeah, like here's going to be the town hall and blah, blah, blah. Um, like a you know, local bookstore and everything. And a squad car is coming along because we were like right by the police station. It was a very, very small town in like in the North shore of Massachusetts. And the window rolls down. He's like a little bit far away, you know, cop with the sunglasses. And he's like, hey, Brandon. Like, oh god oh no like i only just moved here he already knows my name what have i done what's happening what am i like I, do i have a gun on me or something what am i doing wrong and so i walk over i'm like uh, yes sir he's like i like your videos on youtube I'm like thank you <laughs> it was it was very strange um but yeah it's uh it's all in good fun he's, um, he's ever humble <laughs> i mean i 
I try, I try. It's 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 we it's difficult, I think, because as as well, the funny thing is like especially at the reenactments, for example, I go through like my little script. Not because I rehearsed it and because I don't care about the people to have a conversation blah, but just because like when you have the same interaction over and over again I, I I fall into patterns like a customer service person or whatever I guess I yeah you know I I say the same things I tell the same stories and I do I do worry that I'm coming across as like disingenuous or if I am being disingenuous and yada 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 but then I have conversations with other YouTube friends um, and, and they say the same things to me. Like, yeah, I have the same worry. And, and I never get that impression from them. I do think it, it's just another example, like so many different things of being one's own worst critic and overanalyzing. I, I overanalyze everything as, as you might have guessed. Um, but no, but, but really, honestly, I've only ever had really positive experiences meeting people who enjoy my work. And it, it's, it's a great reminder, I think, when I do meet people Oh, sorry. Screw just came out of my desk. That's a little worrying. Um, <laughs> but um, Got a especially like like going to the reenactments or, or or getting letters in the mail. Like I have a PO box and people send me like letters or packages every once in a while. And like like reading the letter for like I think the youngest person who ever sent me a letter was like an eleven year old boy, and he was talking about how. I'm helping to make him more interested in history and how he's learned that it's important to, you know, think about history from the perspective of the little guy and not just the generals or something like that. Yeah. And I just, I just about cried when I read that letter because it was just like, so it's like, it's so affirming. It's so, you know, satisfying to see that, like, I guess it is having an impact and it's, and it's doing well. It isn't just me screeching at my computer about Barbie things the more important lessons are also getting imparted. You know, it isn't just the different noise that a gun makes when I shoot it, but it's also the lectures that I give on historiographical techniques or morality in history, you know, things like that. Like that stuff gets through as well. And it's it's really nice to to get that affirmation and to remind me why I'm doing this beyond just the ability to sleep in as late as I want to and still be able to afford my apartment. Um, a random question. What does Farby mean? I've never heard of that. Farb. Oh, um, in the reenacting community, Farb is uh, it's it's a catch all term for things that are historically inappropriate, anachronistic, uh, inaccurate, etc., etc. Oh, um, OK. There's a number of different stories as far as where the word comes from. Um, mm -hmm. The most popular one is far be it from me to comment on your uniform but do you have documentation for such and such um yeah, far be it from me far be far farb um, okay other people describe it as the german word for color farb farbe right farb, um yeah. as a way to describe like a uniform that's way too colorful because like it is with incorrect dyes and whatnot there's a number of different stories as far as well yeah it's just anything that's inaccurate basically okay that's good to know learn learn yeah. something new well, we, we should talk about because I, I, I've been thinking about some possible videos for, for maritime related stuff yeah, that could maybe cool. incorporate your your land element. The most obvious one to me, like right off the bat, is the Marines. Yep. I knew you were going to oh, say that. It's um sharpshooters on a platform, get you up on a ship's pl fighting platform. Yeah. And just even looking down, like I'd be curious to know. Um, I mean, there's there's so many questions I would have. Because mm -hmm. uh, obviously I, I I don't know how to I mean I, I like 
you know, fired a musket once in a reenactment, yeah. you know, a few, a few dozen times. Like, like, like definitely not. Uh, there's a lot of details there that I'm missing. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd have a lot of questions, uh, especially if there was yeah. a way. Oh, man, I mean, there's so many different things I've, I've thought of that would be cool. I wish we still, um, the boats I used to work on, we did battle sails, you know, so, so we would raft up together all the time at dock, you know, and that'd be something really easy. Oh, that's to, really you know, cool, even though yeah. the platforms were smaller than a probably a, a fighting platform on a warship, mm-hmm. but. But you still get the impression of like what the deck looks like, what angle. Yeah, yeah, and and the swaying motion and how you have to accommodate for that and things like that. Yeah, it's a, I, yeah the Marines are definitely something a lot of people have asked me about, and I want to look more into it because it, it's a really interesting dynamic. Um, especially, I think, when I hear about like the Marines fighting on land. Like, like the Marines, <laughs> for example, the Royal Marines, well, they weren't called Royal Marines at the time, but the Marines, um, like at the Battle mm-hmm. of Bunker Hill, like imagine just like that weird juxtaposition of fighting, like training and living on ship, but then fighting in against like a fortified position in a land engagement. That must oh, be yeah. crazy. Um, well, the U.S. Marines going 500 miles across the you know Libyan desert. To, yeah, to yeah, like just like, like stuff like 500 that. miles really <laughs> across the desert. It's um, intense. It's crazy. Yeah, and I, and I think that that sort of thing is like it's in order for me to make a video that's really like worthwhile. I kind of need to have someone like yourself with that naval experience to lend their own perspective on things. Because I can talk about like, oh, swinging wildly in the tops. But what do I, I don't know about being yeah. in the tops. What, what am I talking about? <laughs> I, I like I fired a musket before, but never in that kind of situation. Um, yeah, that's definitely something I think that would be really good. Um, something similar actually uh, that, that I've been wanting for the longest time to make a video about. And I have a bunch of notes for it, and I actually started writing a script a while back, although unfortunately I, I lost that. Um, I want to make a video about a naval engagement, but from the perspective of an individual gunner, like down and like on like the tween deck. Yeah, that's oh, even, I don't, I don't know if it's even called the tween deck on a military There, there ship, is a like, tween deck on the size of the vessel, yes. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but like like in, in the middle, like with a gun deck above, gun deck below, smoke everywhere, and just the noise that that must have been. Like, that sounds like a fascinating dynamic because obviously all the guys up above, you know, they can see what's going on kind of with smoke and everything. But like, you know, you have, you have Nelson yeah. with his spyglass saying, oh yes, we're going to go over that way and give them what for. All right, that's great and all. But what about that like 22 year old guy who's just like sitting there, you know, getting ready to swab out the gun. He's like, well, th- there's like part of a ship I see in the corner over there through the gun port, but th- that's all like, their experience of the battle is going to be this little like foot by foot or however large they were hole in the side of the ship yeah. and that's it. it's just firing and loading firing loading until they tell you to stop like well it's so funny you mentioned it's fun. yeah it's funny you mentioned that because I, like i i have this um i don't want to call it a pipe dream because it's still in my head all the time but i have this uh, I, i'm gonna call it a family cartoon i want to create um where and and i I don't know. I, 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 I can't decide if it's a kid's cartoon or if it's like a serious drama, but I feel like it has to be animated. So I don't know. Anyhow, there's some definite like graphic scenes. I want to, I want to have like a, three generations of a family sitting there crying together, holding each other over a lost character or celebrating together. Like that's, that's my vision. Yeah. But uh, one of the characters I already know his nickname. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be sliver. Um, I want to call him splinter, <laughs> but I guess that's the, the, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, Sensei or whatever, so that would <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. Like you know, this this like grizzled you know, kind of old older you know, middle aged warrior, but that mm-hmm. he got a huge scar on, he's just like torn a mouth essentially. Yeah, and and in the in 
you know, probably the second episode, because of course everyone's going to be curious, like, what's this guy? What's the story? You know, mm-hmm. but then the start of one of the episodes, it's going to be what you just described. It's going to be that battle. And all you, all you see if initially is just gray, just gray. And then little flashes of light here and yeah. there, and just like yeah. buds. And slowly the sound kind of comes in a little bit, but really his perspective of that battle is just, it's, it's gray flash. You know, you see other flashes, but you don't see anything. Gun t- gets taken out down the road, you know, yeah. like, it's just the, the confusion yeah. of it all, just the chaos, yeah. because you don't have exactly. That well, overall. and then he gets hit, and then and then then his gun gets hit, and it's just you know, and then yeah. he ends yeah. up, uh, you know, buddies are staring at him, and 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 he, at first you don't see what the problem is, but then then he's like, oh my god, he's got like this split, you know, this, yeah, this yeah, are stuck in a shard of wood. And, De- definitely and, sounds and, more like an adult yeah. story than than. Oh, a, I know a it's such a story. I can't make it kid friendly. <laughs> yeah. Hard but yeah it's that scene that you're describing where it's just yeah yeah because all you're gonna you know, for, first of all you go deaf after a while i mean like we I were hearing so, protection yeah. on the boats and these are little little three pound guns but i i had um i had i had a couple of guns go off right next to my ear and it physically i mean well you know you do reenactments you get a yeah, cannon yeah. shot next to your head it hurts well i mean it it I, like i know from being next to those even those like you say tiny guns out in an open field and it yeah. really hurts yours, let alone, like, if you're laid up alongside, if there's this massive, like, first rate or whatever, two of them just duking it out, and that's a 28, a 32 or whatever pounder that's going yeah. up, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's impossible to imagine the amount of ring, the tinnitus, my God, uh, yeah. assuming that you get that far. Um, <laughs> you hope yeah, you it's... get that far. That's the ideal. Um yeah, and, and just that that idea, I guess, and that's what always fascinated me so much from the army perspective, and I'd love to explore on the navy side of things as well, because like like I read, uh, you know, like you read the primary sources of soldiers who were in like the Battle of Waterloo or Badajoz or whatever, and you know you read the overall history and all these grand heroics are happening and people are are doing amazing stuff and it's spectacular, yada yada yada, but then you read the individual account and he's like. Ah, yes, I heard of Captain Such-and-Such's gallant charge. I was in the reserve, and we were being hit by artillery. Uh, One guy tried to get a look, and he lost his head. Like, just these little snippets, these little mini perspectives that you get on the battle. And that always interested me more, honestly. Like, the, 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 the guy who doesn't know anything about what's happening on the battlefield, all he knows is that the French are right there. And his buddies, there's not enough of them, because those are a lot of Frenchmen. And they're loading and firing as fast as they can and just hoping that something stops those French before they get to you. And that, I think, like that's where the real value of the kinds of history that we explore through these hands-on approaches, that's, the, the, that's where we can really get the best insights into those sorts of experiences, those sorts of direct in-the-moment things, so to say. I, I wish I could get you on some boats and do some battle sails. Unfortunately, the the ones the ones I did work on, they they sold one of the ships, so now they don't do battle oh, sails. Oh yeah, yeah. One, we, one we, day maybe. Yeah, we would get grief from other sailors where it's like, oh, battle sails, you're just doing reenacting. No, it's like, come on, we're doing real sail maneuvers. Like, like yeah. the engines aren't on, and we're we're like trying to outmaneuver yeah, each other. Go. Like it's very complex. And yeah, the first time absolutely. you're in there, it's what you're describing. Where like you don't know like. All of a sudden, the boat's on that side. Like, what happened? You're like, you know yeah. nothing. You're, Go to the brake station. Pull, pull, pull. Okay, yeah. ease the line out. No, no, no. Run over here. Didn't set the sail. Set the, you know, it's like just, the, the degree to which, like, like the, the, the more that I learn about the Navy side of things is just 
oh my god the technical nature of it all just the mathematics yeah. and the science that goes into it it blows my mind because you know if if the french are over there and we're over here all right cool oblique you know oblique march to the right and you're right there it's easy <laughs> but that's not the case with the navy oh. stuff the enemy can be like right over there and you're right here but oh but the wind's going this other direction which means we have to do all these fancy things with the sails in order to go over there and then get the windage it's like oh, oh those poor land generals must have been so frustrated they're like why why can't you go what's your problem it's like yeah well, like because we can't that was like a, that was a common story <laughs> with like napoleon for example like he didn't oh, he was an so army genius but he didn't have the navy stuff and so he would like send yep. you know, command down to like admiral villeneuve or whatever it's like just go past Nelson, get up here so we can invade Britain. He's like, I can't do that. It's like, that's not how it works. What are you talking about? It's like, absolutely. Yeah, um, well, the cool thing, uh, and, and the weird thing about the ships too, when you, because when you get on board, for, most people are just overwhelmed. Like, it looks like this beautiful geometric, you know, all the rigging and stuff, especially when you're on a square rigger, because you get hundreds of, of rope. Yeah. Let's call them ropes. Let's call it. <laughs> it's all good. Hundreds well, of and, lines, you know. And isn't it the and, case and, that, like, like new officers would have to learn, like, all of them, basically, and, like, what they did and how they all worked? Because... Oh, yeah, definitely Like, it, like is there any such a thing as a person who's like, oh, I work on this sail, but I don't do the other sail? Like... It's pretty much a cohesive system, right? Like you have to know how it all works to manage. Well, it depends on the size of the boat, but yeah, if you're if you're the bosun, if you're in charge of that rigging, or if you're one, which mm -hmm. a bosun would have been a, a non commissioned officer, I'm guessing, or I don't know if they have that expression, but a basically, yeah, officer, I think is what they call it in the navy, right? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, basically, if if depending on the size of the vessel, because you do have to start like like okay, this person is in charge of this mast, you know, yeah. or this this part of the rigging or whatnot. But but certainly on the smaller boats, like, yeah, you know, I mean, to this day, like, that's one of the things you get handed a sheet. This is this is the line you know, diagram and you memorize it. But it's it's more than that, because at some point it does have to become intuitive. So, like, imagine like you come out on deck, you know, this is before you had lights this is before. So you're out on deck. There's a storm. So there's no starlight. There's no moonlight. It is pitch freaking black yeah. spray everywhere. Wind, every, you know, you can't see the belay pins. Like you literally have to be able to do this stuff blind. You have to know exactly yeah. how to belay the line. You have to know like, like, so a lot of the stuff and, and same thing with like one of these days, I'm I, I'm planning on doing a, a, a YouTube video on, on just the philosophy behind knot tying because oh, I've man. seen like survival knots. It gets 15 million views from some guy that can barely video. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, yeah. you can definitely do better than that. But the whole time in the video, he doesn't talk about the actual mentality you need in a, in a yeah. survival. Like, like, why the are they so fancy and sophisticated? And like, it's like, because, like, from my perspective, it seems unnecessary. Because I can't like, like, why, why do you need to make it like this, that, and the other? But oh, well, like, there's so many reasons. I mean, you're, you're, you know, for the rigging, if you're talking about the rigging, but well, so as far as knots go, though, you have to be able to do blindfolded. So you, you don't know yeah. you're not unless you can do it without thinking at all. Just like done. Like, yeah. But with the rigging, it's I, I had a I had a captain who he he had a really good respect for history and, and understanding of it. And he said, look, if you take um, uh, take the best scientists and engineers today, take them. And throw it and give them the same parameters. It's kind of what you were talking about. Like you have to view history in the context and, and what people had to deal with logistically, all this. So give them the same parameters. You need mm -hmm. to create a vessel that's or, 85, 90% of the weight's organic. Okay. So, yeah. so this is, you know, a few bits of structural iron. Otherwise it's all organic. 
You need to, it needs to be able to sail around the world. It needs to be self-sufficient. It needs to be powered off of the six simple machines. It needs to be powered off of human power. You know, it's yeah. like you start putting in all these different parameters. And he's like, you know, I mean, yes. Would they have a few little things like maybe self-tacking sails, a couple little ingenious things that we have to make sure. Mm-hmm. But at its core, you're probably not going to have something too much different than what you see yeah. in in a square rigger trying to sail down the trade winds. Like, like it just, it, it makes sense. The biggest limiting factor is human power. I mean, you just, we, we're only so strong we're just not strong enough to, to yeah. you can't pull in a massive, you know, sail. And, and I mean, you, I, I, well, you've been to HMS victory. Did you see the victory sail? Did you no. see the actual four topsail of the HMS victory? Unfortunately, when I was there, um, the, the rigging has all been down because of like heavy maintenance work and everything. Oh. But uh, no, 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 one no, no, day no, I'll no, be out the there though with it all. No, 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 no. This is not on the ship. This was oh. so, so I went to the HMS Victory. I spent like four hours on it. I found the bosun. Yeah, like sure. I thought that poor, I, I might have been a woman. I can't remember. The, the poor person, poor bosun. Like I bugged them for hours. I went back. I, I did all the things I wasn't allowed to do short of climbing the rigging, which I, I almost did. But I didn't do that. But I was just like, oh, man, totally geeked out. And then I realized, oh, crap, I can only see one more thing. And it's got to be something small. And so yeah. I looked. It's like the Victory sale. What's that? This is gonna be like, I, I pictured in my brain like some virtual reality, like you sail around the HMS yeah, Victory. Yeah. It's gonna be stupid. I get up there. It was the actual four topsail of the HMS really? Victory during the Battle of Trafalgar. You can see the wow. cannonball shots, the musket holes. You can see like, and they had this wonderful video of um, with little scenes for Master and Commander, you know. And then it's yeah, every yeah. do his duty, and it basically gave the the sail a, a context, but like in a kind of inspiring way. Yeah. And then they show you the sail and it's huge. It feel, it's only two thirds of it were exposed and it filled oh this massive, massive room. You know, so you know why they needed, you know, 50 oh, guys. No, I, I don't know if that was there when I, I it, thought you might have been, I don't, I don't know, but I basically started crying. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, I, 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 I wouldn't blame you at that point. I didn't know this existed. I just started crying. Yeah. And people like come up and they're like, well, this is stupid and walk away. I'm like, you, yeah. you're angry. Like, you don't understand. Don't understand. <laughs> it was so <laughs> But, uh, oh, yeah, it's it's if you get a chance to see that, uh, well, and now you're famous, so you maybe can like you know, pull some crap. Right, right, like, right, right, no, don't, don't, don't get too, too famous. Yeah. Famous also, is a very generous way of putting it. Yeah. Also, also <laughs> don't sneak into the museum at night, which uh, me and one of my old shipmates, Jamie, uh, well, I, I didn't do it, but Jamie did. <laughs> we mm, got locked for, out. Le- for all legal purposes. I didn't do it. My friend. Did. No, no, okay. no, no. So we were, I, we were, I see Viking, what you're talking about. We were on the Viking ship and our entire crew, all 65 of us were, we were in one of the warehouses in Portsmouth in the actual, facility there the actual it's mm-hmm. a military facility and uh but jamie and i went out on the town and then the gate closed and so we couldn't get back in it's like three in the morning we're like oh crap uh, well so i just yeah. slept out, out on like a you know i slept under a statue or something out there but but he swam around in this putrid water i was like oh man oh god yeah <laughs> you know that's uh, you don't get shot by a person water. with a submachine gun you're, you're gonna be you know, die of some horrible disease um, but Jamie, uh, the only, one reason I mentioned Jamie though is uh, he is the fellow, the British fellow. I, I'm, 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 he's, I'm either going to do his interview right before yours or after. I don't know yet, Brandon. Depends on when the editing gets done. But uh, he's the one from Cornwall that wants to get your autograph and wants to invite you for a cup of tea. So, ah, well, all right, all right. <laughs> he's, that could be some he's a wonderful there. old shipmate. He's a great guy. So, nice, crazy stories. But, uh, but yeah, huh. so yeah, the human power and just. 
you, you are so limited. Once you start getting, yeah. getting into what it was actually like, it all of a sudden, a lot of history makes sense. It's really yeah. fascinating. It's about just like, yeah, connecting the dots and finding out like, oh, that, that thing that seems silly nowadays, there's a purpose to it. There's a logic to it. Like people back then weren't stupid. They weren't. <laughs> Well, at least they weren't more stupid than we are. They weren't yeah. more arrogant than we are. At least not in blah. Like they, they like there's there's reasons for smart. all this stuff. Just because we don't know what those reasons are, it doesn't mean that they they didn't exist. Um, yeah. And I, that's definitely the most important thing I think that reenactors um, and and people who are engaging in trades and activities that have some historical root, much like sailing does. Um, like even if you're not trying to do historical reenactment sailing the act of sailing itself still has historical value, you know, oh, yeah. uh, as I'm sure that you found in many circumstances. I think that's definitely the biggest value that it has to just history in general, academic, popular, any of it is, is bringing that fact to life and helping well, to you know, reinforce it. Yeah. Not even, not even to life, but also, as you said, for understanding, like, like you, you said, um, yeah, as far as like the, just, the act of sailing by itself will will get you a better understanding of history and, and yeah. what people ought to go to. And it's true. I I was lucky enough. I audited a Viking seminar um, it, when the when I went to go get a teaching credential at university, and um, I had just come from the Sea Stallion, which is the world's largest Viking ship replica. They've, oh, they've since made a, the Draken is bigger but we, we're not yeah, sure I, made, i've heard of that one but okay. we're not sure they made ships quite that big certainly they didn't have engines but the sea stallion was 100 feet long 12 feet wide crew 65 is what we put on it hmm. and uh and just an awesome warship i mean gosh she's just she is crazy to sail yeah but uh, so i had just come from this vessel so like like we had to unload the ballast to clean out the bottom of the boat load the ballast back in one time during the voyage and then you unload it at the end. And, and so the professor, she was this amazing, she was 86 years old, this amazing woman that to hear her tell the story, she, she started and you know, was, was the whole reason women got liberated, <laughs> you know, women's liberation movement, but she was great. And she'd been kayaking and, and doing all this crazy adventure in the fifties and then became mm -hmm. an historian much later. Yeah. And so she really had a respect for people that went out and did stuff and actually, yeah. you know, did, did uh, living things. And so when she found out I'd been on a Viking ship, she said, oh, by all means, come on. And, and so what ended up happening was any question that was boat related, which the Vikings are famous for the boats. There, there were a lot of questions she'd ask me. And, and so a lot of times I'm like, uh, well, I, I don't know, but yeah. this is what, you know, so like one of the ones, I think the French paid like it was 42,000 pounds of, I'm guessing coinage of some sort. I, I don't think they had 40,000 of gold, but some yeah. sort of coinage, 42,000. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you know, Johan, how many ships do you think they would have needed for that? And I said, well, ma'am, you know, break it down. That's that's 21 tons. And she's like, oh, well, it doesn't sound so heavy anymore. I'm like, yeah. well, no, but, you know, so I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe one of their big transport ships could handle 21 mm -hmm. tons. But I said, yeah, that's not what I would do. If, if I were them, I'd, your ballast is made of stone. Just throw out half the stones, put in sacks of gold, make sure, make sure they don't shift. You're good to go. And she, she's like, Yo, Johan, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. That's what yeah. they did. I'm like, no, no, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, hold on, hold on. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying like, at all. What else could they have done? I mean, it's the most logical, you know, but, but you, mm. and, and so I, to this day, I don't know if that's what they did, but that's what I would do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, so it's, it's kind of those like, things of like, it's, it gives you half the story, but, but you yeah. need to complete it with that, with that actual like primary 
you know, research oh, and everything yeah. to confirm it. Is yeah, but but, but at the very use, least, yeah. it gives you more of an inkling. It, it gives you the steps that you can take to find out more if that's something that you really needed to learn about. You know, like it it helps you to have that basis. Whereas you know the the other the the, the lady, you know, very intelligent as she is, but still like she she wasn't starting from that same position. She yeah. didn't have any of it, so it would have been a lot harder probably for her to you know. To well, and she and she was humble enough and respectful enough of of what I had done to even ask the question, to even yeah. accept that my answer might have some you know value at all, yeah. which was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, that's one thing I think with the academics, like just be be a little humble. Like not everything's written down in a book, and yeah, and that's the, exactly. honest God truth. There's some stuff we will just never know. Period. Yeah, it just, absolutely. It just absolutely. Can't. Mm-hmm. And. Oh, Brandon, I could talk to you forever. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I agree. But um, <laughs> at the very least, um, well, let's see here. Um, we've been going for, an, I have an hour, 25 minutes worth of stuff. Um, were there, I know there were a number of things we mentioned, but um, of all the things that we did talk about last time, uh, what oh. other, like, if, if we were to hit one more, like, big topic for, like, another, just you know, for, for at least a couple of minutes um, before I were, yeah, I, I probably have, like, another... 20 minutes solidly before I have to go and start uh, packing and whatnot. Um, <laughs> yeah, you better do that. You want to live. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, like, like, like what, what else are you thinking would be, would be worthwhile to, uh, to pivot into from here? Let's, we should talk about, we should talk about Hollywood. Let's, let's cover Hollywood. And, and right. I, I want to hear your, your take on the, oh boy. Uh, man, I, yeah, like, like I, I mean, I've heard, obviously, I've seen a lot of your videos, so I, so I do know some of your take, but, but like, I want to, I want to hear about some of the, your favorite scenes from just, I don't want to say bad scenes, but just like, come on, guys. I don't, I don't know. Just those, those kind of scenes. And yeah, you know what? I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you. Oh, and I boy. don't want you to mention the Patriot. <laughs> All right. So like best and worst scenes without mentioning. Without mentioning the Patriot, though that, that I mean, which shall not be named. That, that will right. be another episode in and of itself. We could talk. Oh, we, could, oh, yeah. we, could, we could sit there and watch the Patriot, and then we'll like because they have a couple boat scenes, so we could do that. Yeah, yeah. Oh God. Oh, that would be something. Oh, that would be fun, actually. You know what? Maybe um, because if I remember right, I heard that like that one flash scene where they have a number of like French ships of the line firing at Yorktown. Apparently, it's yes. like not very good. I should bring you on to talk and, and we could talk about that maybe a little bit and you could tell me about the rigging and whatnot and how they have things set yeah. up that that would be a good that could and be i'd a have to do my collab. homework i'd have to actually read a little bit more of that battle because because i have read um i mean i do remember reading one primary source uh source from the time where they were like praising the british like the americans were like they, they put up a really good fight like like the british yeah. did yeah, yeah. Yorktown, and, and it's, oh yeah though there are a so lot of different stories yeah. of just of outrageously like heroic deeds taking place as yeah, far as like men like the 23rd actually um the 23rd foot uh they had some like the fiercest fighting at one of the redoubts that they actually is like still preserved today they call it fusiliers redoubt because of the 23rd um and, uh, harsh fighting you know back and forth and defending this position because if the americans took the position they can set up artillery and blah 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 blah, blah. Mm-hmm. but by the end of the battle you know, like they held the redoubt or whatever for the longest amount of time and at the end of the battle, like right before the British marched out for the surrender, the 23rd had actually been issued like new uniform coats, like like new new clothing they received through one of the rare shipments that got through. And so for the parade at the surrender, after these guys had been through some of like the harshest, most 
dirty, brooding, br- brutal fighting of that battle. And they come out like spick and span, spotless clean, parading down the way for the surrender. And all the doodles are like, what the? Who were like, were they the ones we were fighting? At least that's what I've heard. I'd have to confirm all that. But that, that, that yeah. well, hmm, that's what I heard from other reenactors. There oh, it's we such go. a so good there we story. Go. There we but go. It, That's it really is a good story. So, something to confirm. <laughs> something to confirm. Um, but anyways, all right. Now, I, I think I can actually do this pretty well. Really, really good moments and really, really bad moments without Mel Gibson. Um, <laughs> really good moments. All right. So, I think that in films like, um, like Waterloo, so like the 1970s or whatever version of Waterloo, or uh, the War and Peace, like the the Bondichuk or whatever, the original War and Peace, or um, uh, heck, even that Al Pacino Revolution film is applicable to this in some ways. Oh, Those that? three films, I think. Oh, it's it's something. Okay. Okay. But those three films, I think, they do a really good job at a sort of like macro picture and building an atmosphere to where. When you look in really close, you're like, the soldiers are carrying the guns wrong, they're marching incorrectly, their spacing is incorrect, the orders are wrong, the uniforms are wrong, I could go on for hours. In fact, I have gone on for hours about the things that they get wrong. Mm -hmm. But when you look at it as a whole, um, for like the atmosphere, like the sounds of the battle and like the sights of, of the smoke filling the field and, and the, the shouting and the screaming and the gunfire and the men falling down and blah, 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 blah. I like to get romantic about it. There are certain moments in, in films like that that like really capture, I think, the mentality and the feeling of the time really, really well. Especially films like Waterloo, where you just have that massive scale. Like, if you want to find out what, like, 50,000 guys or whatever marching across the field looks like, that's your film. If you zoom in, the uniforms look awful. Well, actually, they don't look all too bad in that one, but, like, they're not good. They're definitely not good. You can tell they're, like, costume type stuff. They're cheaply made. The musket drill is awful. They're all, like, Soviet, like, army extras because it was made, that was how they made the movie is they got a whole bunch of extras from Russia to, to be the soldiers. So, like, they're presenting arms like Russian lifeguards from World War One or something like that. Like, it, it's ridiculous. But when you pull out and you can't notice those little details when you're pulling out, it, it's just a spectacle. That's the real value of that film and of many other films like it, I think. Even if they aren't like 100% accurate, like, well, actually, General Picton should be on the other side, not on that side. And when the 95th advanced, they, they didn't advance in column of twos, they advanced in column of threes. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. That's valid. That's important to talk about. Historical accuracy does matter. But if at the very least, they can capture an atmosphere of the battle and they can get across the hellish reality that was 18th or like long 18th century Napoleonic, whatever, like warfare, the hell of warfare, the chaos, the the smoke and all that. That's good. And if you can do that, if you cannot glorify the warfare, cough, cough, Gettysburg, cough, cough, uh, the one that I'm not supposed to mention, things like that. Like, <laughs> if you can have it be to where the men aren't charging across an open field, and na na na, you know, the heroic music, and they're like, you know, remember old England, like okay, Whiggish nonsense, whatever. 
if you can get across the reality of it, so to say, that's what really matters. I think that's what really, really counts. Um, now, here's, I just thought of this. So here's a quick question. In modern film, uh, historical mm-hmm. films, so, so, so historical films made in the modern era, say from the 70s on or whatever. Um, do you think, I just thought of this because I was thinking about good historical films. You have one very popular video that I, I think it, it talks about grape shot. And it's from a, a scene from like a, is it Polish? Russian. I don't know. Yeah. Russian, Russian. Yeah. And then there's, um, I mean, Gosh, one of the greatest war films of all time is uh, "Come and Come and See," which they used live I've ammunition. I've not seen it yet, but I know. Yeah, brutal. I oh, so make sure make sure you don't have a loaded gun next to your your where you're sitting. It's yeah, really, yeah. So I've heard. Really, it's a downer. It's a real downer. Yeah, uh, very real, extremely realistic because you realize everything in there is like like those tracer shots are like that's really good CGI for the eighties. No, they're real. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but but and then but I was thinking like dust boat. Like, do you think that? The Eastern European and and maybe to a lesser extent Western, like, do you think some of the European countries are doing better historical films now, just because America and Hollywood's gotten so? I mean, some of it's just really bizarre. Like, it's just outlandishly. It can be. Um, just not I, that good. I wouldn't go so. I I wouldn't venture to to go quite so far as that as to say that mm-hmm. it's like an East West divide. I I do think that. Um, in more recent years, Western, like Hollywood-esque storytelling has gone in a very different direction that does not value historical accuracy or authenticity so much mm-hmm. as the narrative. And unfortunately, a lot of times people use historical settings because they really want to tell a fantasy story, but they aren't creative or intelligent enough to do so. <laughs> tell us what you really think. <laughs> yes. Um, you are, I, I agree, but, sir. <laughs> but when it comes to... but. Uh, but all the same, a story can be awful, you know, like, again, like, like that, that revolution film that I mentioned, the Al Pacino movie, hmm. I was praising it, like, for the battle, the battle scene having a really good atmosphere, but on the whole, the movie is not, is not very good. Like, it has moments that capture the atmosphere, but you also have moments where a hoity-toity British officer with this white powdered face going, <laughs> yes, we're going to go on a hunt for the rebels! And he goes out and he literally like has like a fox hunt for a live human being. It's ridiculous. That is sheer fantasy and it's yeah. insulting and it's stupid. And it's one of the many examples of horrible authenticity as well as accuracy that I could go on about. Um, but I think that that's, that's the case, honestly, everywhere, unfortunately. Um, for example, actually, that one Russian film that got that one atmosphere of the canister shot really well. Mm-hmm. Look at some of the other scenes and you have the same kind of over at over like actiony over dramatized uh political like lessons and whatnot like a lot of people actually were telling me that um some people debate that it's kind of like a pro putin film because of like the lessons that it has in it i i couldn't comment on that because i've not seen the movie myself i've only seen that scene i thought the scene was really good so i talked about that scene yeah um but it definitely has a lot of like I don't like collar tuggy moments as far as the accuracy and the authenticity is concerned. And to to be sure, if you ever want like spectacle beyond belief, but no like substance, there's a lot of uh, Chinese war films in particular or like, um, (laughs) like, or like like Korean war film, Korean war films can be like super emotional and really dramatic, but the accuracy is like, 
I don't know about that. Uh, so I, I don't think that that's like a like a Hollywood problem so much as it is just a uh, a storytelling problem, a narrative problem. As far as um, well, and actually, people I, value I, be, the story more than yeah. I don't know. But to be fair people, with Hollywood, like what got me in the tall ships was Master and Commander, which is one of yeah. the greatest historical films. And yeah, yeah, that is, and there are good examples to be sure. It's like I, I think it's just a big part of it is the people who are writing the scripts and directing the film and everything is do they think that the history is interesting enough to tell its own story or do they feel the need to insert things to make it more interesting? Yeah. I, I believe that fact is cooler than fiction. I, I believe that the, yeah, like um, actually my, my partner the other day, last night, she was watching um, cause we're going to Hollywood soon. And so for a laugh, she understands that it's awful and she just wanted to have some fun with it. She was watching like some Mary Queen of Scots film and I, and I walk up and just, I, I watch a little bit with her and she's telling me about like, like the hairstyles that they're wearing are ridiculous and that dress is really off and blah, 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 blah. And like, oh, and she never said that and they never met and this relationship is fabricated, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's fun sometimes to watch the things for, um, yeah. you know, for it being bad. Uh, yeah, but but uh, but then she was telling me about the real story, about like what actually happened. And I'm like, why didn't they just make a movie about all that? And she's like, I don't know. Because... <laughs> The actual history, more often than not, is way more interesting than anything yeah. that people could come up with. Uh, but unfortunately, I think a lot of times it's just a crux for bad writing is to make up whatever you want and then just say, based on a true story. It's like right. Game of Thrones syndrome. Like, yeah, the, the, I've had conversations with people before um, and I've expressed like, eh, I don't really like Game of Thrones. It's like, I don't, I think it's unrealistic how like every, uh, like, I'll say, like, I think that the writers treated sex, for example, in a very immature way in Game of Thrones. And, like, every relationship is, like, abusive and everything is over sex and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, well, Brandon, that's what it was like in the Middle Ages. I'm like, what? <laughs> when you could get no, pregnant? No, no. <laughs> love was not, like, love is not a concept that was invented in 1954 by John Q. Love. It, it like human nature is complicated and absolutely there were arranged marriages and whatnot, but like it wasn't all just grim, like the grim darkness of the far future, but in the past and far too many films are trying to make it that way based yeah. on the gritty fantasy world. That's uh, yeah. Ba basically, unfortunately, a lot of times people use history as a crux in their writing to fill in the gaps because they're not creative enough to come up with their own world. Whereas, actual history is such a rich and fascinating story if you tell it on its own merits and whatnot and i suppose I that that's a good note for me to conclude that little uh, <laughs> segment on <laughs> yeah no, i 100 percent agree well um well uh, i just want to i want to just for your your fans that like because you have that great video on master commander a great telling of like oh, this is how to you. tell a hero, you know, and, yeah. and they, they mention Lord Nelson and they never show him and they never, and it's, and, it, and just, I love that's, it's probably my favorite video of yours. Cause it just really does Thank you. touch on, you just explain it very, very well. But um, I did, I want for your fans, I want to let that. So I was lucky enough. I got to meet the captain of the HMS Rose when it played the HMS surprise during the filming. Hopefully I get to interview him someday. Uh, captain, that would be really um, cool, yeah. Yeah, he, he's he's a great guy, really just a nice human, and, and has great stories about that time. But um, but I got to meet the fellow that did, the, and I don't even know how. Like I, I met the the guy that did the sound 
for the the, the gunfire. The, the, they're not, you know, the, the cannon shots, but they're, yeah, they're called yeah. guns on boats because everything has to have a different name. So anyhow, he, he did the sound of it. And just, I think it too, it wasn't just the writers and the producers that obviously love Patrick O'Brien. They obviously love the history, but it was mm-hmm. also the people they hired were so passionate about it. And this guy was angry. Like when I spoke to him about, I was asking him questions and stuff and he got like his blood pressure shot up. I mean, he was angry. He's like, I told them, I told them we need a barge. Tell the get the get the Coast Guard. Like, we need a barge and we need to fire those guns from onto, you know, over the water on towards that barge. Yeah. And he says, because they sound different and they fired them in the woods instead. It doesn't sound the same. And it's just like, yeah. what? Like nobody. You know, and, and then the other thing he said too is that they couldn't use the these actual um, I guess the brass uh, 12 pounders that, that Jack was famous for. When they actually fire, they sound like a bell. Yeah. So yeah. he's like, "Bong!" It just it wouldn't it wouldn't work for what you know audiences are used to hearing a certain thing. Yeah. And so it's just like that that attention to detail. I even think there were some of the lines, some of the ropes were, uh, um, like like left hand lay when they needed to be. Like like it was very rare. <laughs> it was like the specific. So they really tried very hard. There are a few things that are not historically accurate. Yeah. Or sure. simply they're working with what they got for the film. But I, I think I mentioned in my little episode on Master Commander uh, where it's like it's so minor that the only example I use, and, and which I think is perfectly 100% justified, is when the whalers are, you know, they have these these guys that are, you know, they're they're set adrift and they're in the South Pacific yeah. in the tropics and they're in their full, set, you know, like oil skin Southwesters. Like there's no yeah, way, there's yeah. no way those guys would be dressed in that <laughs> that outfit in the South in the tropics. However, yeah. The audience needs to know these are whalers. These are different from the, you know, the sailors, mm-hmm. the Navy, Navy sailors. Yeah, and yeah. like, and and you're right. Like those are like minor points in comparison. Like, like if if those were present factors in a film that was awful with like a million other things wrong, then yeah, like tear into it and it deserves yeah. it. But overall, I, I think you would agree that the film does like respect the story oh. and the experience of those men, um, pretty well. And so those yeah. minor points, like they kind of don't matter quite as much because the story on the whole, the writing, like the things that are much more easily even in the people's control, like like the, the I guess that's the thing is like, even if you can't get a full, like materially authentic experience, the writing and the story of the film in this example is 100% in your control. And there's no excuse to not make that authentic yeah. and good, you know? Well, and, and I mean, there's lots of details in there too that you wouldn't even, most people wouldn't even notice unless you've been on boats and lived on boats, like mm. uh, just little gems, like where it's just like, oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's so like there's a scene where right before, right before the, the Marine shoots the, uh, the bird, the, the Marine Sergeant, and then shoots mm-hmm. Steven, right before that, you see, uh, uh, what's his freaking Pippin? I forget the actor's name, and I forget. Yeah, yeah, Pippin. He's playing Barrett Bondin, but yeah. he's like telling Steven about the thing. Well, as he's talking and looking up, He's finishing off a lashing. He's not even looking at what he's doing, which you, yeah, but you do automatically. He's <laughs> able to go through. Yeah, but it's like you know, other but you, it's little things like that where you're like, yeah, he he just and, that, and that's actual. Like he did. That's what yeah. you do after a while when you've done those, it. A those little times. nods. Yep, those little yeah. nods to the authenticity. Really? That I think it it betrays when there's actual passion behind the project and when the people care about it, as opposed to again just using it as an excuse to get a bunch of people on a boat or whatever, you know, it's, it's, that's, it's those little things that really do help to make the difference because it, it bleeds through. It really does. You can tell, you know? Well, Brandon, thank you for, for keeping your passion for history alive and, and, and 
nurturing it in others. I, I appreciate it so much. I, I'm th thank you. Thank you for doing this, this interview. This is Absolutely. so great. No, this was a good fun. I, I appreciate your, you know, sending the invite and, uh, and having me, having me aboard. Hey, there you go. There, there we go. <laughs> we'll have to, you know, I get you, I'd love to get you on a boat at some point. And, and anytime, if you want any help with, with any, anything historical, if, if I don't know it, I, I know somebody that does. So that as far as boats fantastic. are concerned, so yeah. we'll figure it out. All right. But, uh, I appreciate that, you. sir. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for your time. And uh, best of luck on your trip. Are, are you going to uh, you're going to London, you said? Are you seeing yes, anything nautical? Are you going to Portsmouth at all? Are you going uh, might there might be a Portsmouth trip involved. Where the, the schedule is very full, but there might be a Portsmouth uh, trip fitted somewhere in there, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um all right, well, folks, uh with that, this Brandon so Brandon, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, where where well. Where can they find your videos? Just Where type in Brandon me? F. Uh, yep. That's Foxtrot. Uh, yep. Brandon, Brandon F. F on YouTube. Um, or if you go to nativeoak.org, uh, the word native oak, like the tree, .org, uh, is my website, which is basically just for the YouTube stuff. But I, I do a few other things besides. Uh, and you can find out all sorts of fun things, uh, fun things there. Um, very good, very good. Why I will, I will leave oak? it to you for your outro, sir. Oh, thank you. Yeah, why is it called native oak? I'm just curious. I've that's always uh, I've always wondered that. From the from Rule Britannia. I was just trying to think of a fun name at uh oh. Thy Native Oak, because it's one of the lyrics in the song. Um oh, I have plans cool. for it for the future, but for now it's just sort of a convenient label to tie in all the various little things that I do. Um and like like the charity fundraisers and whatnot, so I can like have a name for it all. Like it's it's mainly just for that. But um in future there are there are big plans for that for yeah. that name. Awesome. And nautical, nautical videos, hopefully, in the future. Yes. Oh, so. yes, of course. All right. Well, thank you, folks, for listening. This is what, what, a, what a treat for, for me. I hope it was a treat for you to listen to Brandon. Uh, check out his videos. They really are entertaining. They're fun. They're great. Share them. Spread the word, please, folks. Uh, this was Nautical Knowledge and Nonsense. My name is Captain Johan. Uh, yeah, support this if you can. I appreciate it. Buy my kids' book if you if you like nautical history i i tried to throw in real sailor words and sailor vocabulary and got to work direct with illustrators so i like to think while not accurate because i don't believe you can pull your ears out and wrap them three times around the ship it's exaggerated stories but uh i'd like to say it's it's relatively authentic as far as kids there you books. go so there you go. anyway thank you everybody for listening wishing everybody out there fair winds and a falling sea and safe journey steve thank you so much.